I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Kay. We're so happy to see you again. I know you have a lot going on. Can you share with us a few updates? Yes, absolutely. And I was in the process of leaving the World Economic Forum and my role there and joining the Center for Trustworthy Technology as its CEO. So brilliant, brand new news. You might ask, what does the Center for Trustworthy Technology do and something about it? So anticipating you would, I will tell you, it's a nonprofit organization and it is a member of the World Economic Forum Global Network of Centers for the Fourth Industrial Revolution. So although I've left the forum as an employee, I haven't gone very far because I'll still be working with my colleagues at the forum, as well as many other new collaborators, and of course, still you at Equal AI and doing this podcast So I'm looking forward to the future. What does the center do? Well, it's given away in the title, isn't it? So trustworthy technology. So not just artificial intelligence, but all the other technologies that are cutting edge and important for us to think about the way that they are introduced to our societies and our companies and through our governments to our citizens. So we can also include, for example, the metaverse, quantum and synthetic biology and many others. But I don't want to take up all of our time talking about all the other forms of technology that we could look at. And also, of course, it's important for us to have focus. So what is the focus? Well, first of all, it's obviously continuing thinking about the things you and I talk about with our guests, responsible AI in the now or responsible quantum in the now, but also looking at, well, what future do we actually want to build for ourselves with these tools and how do we use them and how do we govern them and how do we produce policy that will get us to a future that we want to have. So it's really about building that future today. Well, that is so exciting, Kay. We are so delighted that you're taking on this important work and that you'll continue to collaborate with us because uh, we need you to. And it sounds like both the forum and Equal AI have a little bit of a Hotel California situation going on. So we're glad you're not going to leave. We are excited to support you and to hear about the important work you're going to be doing along the way. At Equal AI, we are excited. We are going to San Francisco. We're taking our show on the road. I'll meet with some of our really impressive team members out there, Jim and Tina and, and several others with whom we collaborate and, and who support the work of our organization. Uh, we're excited to participate in the EU conference on AI. We talk about all the time on the show, the important work underway at the EU. So I'm very excited to learn more. First and foremost, what is happening and, and hear from others who are collaborating with them so that we can be more educated and aligned at Equal AI and all the different hats that we wear. And then we're excited to have 
a meeting of the National AI Advisory Committee back here in DC, where we will feature the 26 experts on our committee, including, by coincidence, the very impressive guest whom I'm so delighted you invited to join us today, Hanie Mamudian of Data Robot, an actual AI ethicist, a topic and a position that we think about and talk about all the time. And so I'm so thrilled you've invited her on our show to tell us more about her journey to this role and what we can learn from her work. Thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to starting off with Hanye. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that the World Economic Forum is hosting a very large responsible AI gathering to think about generative AI specifically in the Presidio in San Francisco at the end of the month. And sadly, you won't be able to come because you're having your meeting in Washington at the same time. These things always clash, don't they? It's sort of... We'll need that AI to help us figure out how to be in two places at once. But <laughs> in the meantime, looking forward to diving into our conversation today. On this week's episode of In AI We Trust, we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Hanye Mahmoudian. Hanye is the global AI ethicist at Data Robot. She provides technical and educational guidance in the area of responsible AI as a member of the office of the CTO. In addition to strategizing the implementation of components of ethics in the product, in her role, she provides thought leadership in responsible AI with a focus on AI bias, trusted and ethical AI. Hanye is a member of the National AI Advisory Committee, NIAC, that is tasked with advising the president and the National AI Initiative Office on topics related to the National AI Initiative. She has won the Venture Beats Women in AI Award for Responsibility and Ethics in AI and was named as an AI ethics leader by Forbes. Hanye holds a PhD in astronomy and astrophysics from Bonn University. Hanye, such an enormous set of achievements here. Welcome to the show. I want to start off the questions by asking you about your journey from receiving your PhD in astronomy and astrophysics from Bonn University to your current role at Data Robot. That's quite a change. How did you first become interested and what was the path that you led to this cutting edge work that you're doing both in AI and ethics? Absolutely. And it's definitely a pleasure on my side to be part of this podcast. So with regards to my background, you know, as you said, I was working in the area of astronomy and astrophysics, but when I got my PhD, I realized that I want to actually explore the work outside academia and kind of use my experience and expertise in the industry. And since I was working on Hubble Space Telescope data, my background was actually working with data. The transition to data science field was a natural process for me. And as you mentioned, I was fortunate enough to be able to work on different industries and different verticals. And one of the areas that I ended up working on as a data scientist 
was a project on hiring uh, use case. And as you can imagine, that is a very sensitive use case. And that's how I got started with bias and fairness, because part of what I was doing as part of this use case was actually realizing that we need to educate the people who are asking questions because the questions that they're asking is relevant to business. They want to improve their processes and retain their workforce. But at the same time, we need to ask the right questions. We need to think about the bias implications that comes with such sensitive use cases. And that's that was the introduction for me to the area of bias in AI and the broader responsible AI aspect of it. When I joined Data Robot, that was pretty much the first question that I asked because we offer the platform to data scientists and to organizations to be able to scale up AI. So the question was, well, what do we do about the bias and fairness side of it? And that's how I was connected to the trusted AI team and then started working on implementing the bias and fairness testing and mitigation into our platform and also other aspects of what we consider trust in technology within the platform. That is so interesting. We are definitely going to put a pin in that and come back to your work on building trust in technology. But first, I really wanted to ask you more and dig in on your really important, exciting role and one that I'm hoping and I trust will become more common in the years to come as the use case for AI becomes more pervasive and more pivotal. So for anyone not familiar, can you please share what is an AI ethicist? What are the questions that you ask? What types of solutions do you provide your company and the clients that you work with? And something that I think would be really interesting to elaborate on is you know, often on the show, we talk about how AI is an opinion and it demonstrates our values. And so we particularly took note of your vision statement for all organizations to adopt value-driven AI as a core competency to improve how they run and grow and optimize business. So we wanted everyone to be clear on what is your job and why is it one that others should consider adding to their company if they haven't already? When we are talking about AI ethicists, we are talking about multiple personas within one role. Um, we need to put different hats. We need to put a hat to be able to communicate to business leaders. We need to be able to put a different hat and talk to technical data science team. But the broader aspect of it is to really think about what are the implications? What are the impacts of a system, a use case that we are trying to put in production? Whether if it's even sometimes internal use, being able to understand that side of it. And also, what are the technologies that we need in order for us to support that? You know, if, for example, we want to have an internal use case, what are the tests that we need to put in place to make sure that the system is behaving the same way that it was intended to behave? And also, it's, you know, exactly as you mentioned, Miriam, is it aligned with our values? What are the technology aspects of it that we need to put in place? So when we are thinking about AI ethicists, it's not just about the right and wrong side of it, but kind of the broader aspect of what should be included within the technology, within the process. That's really wonderful because I think it helps lead into our next question. 
So one of the issues that we often talk about on this program is the need to design, develop, and deploy AI in a way that breeds trust. And that's what you've just been talking about, Hany. So this is also an issue that you've spoken about passionately for years. And I want to take you to a talk entitled Human-Centered AI, Ways to Build Trust in AI Solutions, which you gave at the Data West conference. Can you elaborate on how taking a human-centered approach to AI is necessary in order to build trust? How does this priority factor into your work and perspective? So when we are thinking about any kind of use case, one of the things that comes to mind is how the system performs, what's its accuracy. But that it doesn't matter whether we give you the high number or a low number, that still doesn't instill trust within you because you're not sure how it would affect you. So part of thinking about the human-centered AI is to actually address those type of concerns and reasons that the people may not be able to trust the AI systems is because they don't understand the impact. They don't understand how it would affect their livelihood. So having a human-centered design as part of building any AI use case would help us really address that problem. Thinking about right from the beginning, are we formulating our problem correctly? The intention might be, you know, good, but the, the end result might be biased because we didn't formulate the problem properly. An example of that was in healthcare uh, that made headlines. So Part of this process to engender trust is to start from the beginning, right from ideation side. What do we need to think about? How we should be thinking about the planning aspect of it, the type of data that is required. Are we using the right data? Why are we using the data that we are using? If the data contains any sensitive information or information that may be considered private. So all of these aspects, and information that we share with the end user. These are all part of the process of thinking about trust as part of the pipeline of building an AI system. And when we have a human-centered AI in mind, the technology that we are going to design, the metrics that we are going to use in order to evaluate the systems, those would also help us to build the trust from the end users, from the people that are going to be impacted by this system. So all of that would be captured as part of what we consider human-centered AI and a framework for each of that, whether if it's on the risk aspects of it, the way that we assess risk that should consider the human element of it, the way that we are thinking about the technology that's required that needs to also have the human element of it. And the last piece is also the intervention aspect of it. Sometimes we tend to automate the full process without providing any human intervention because there are times that we have something in mind. We think that we understand all the impacts, but the reality is that there are some unknowns. So we continuously need to monitor the system 
and be able to identify if there were some issues with the system that we didn't identify right from the beginning. So these are all part of the process of thinking about trust within the pipeline and within the process. So at any point, we would be able to intervene and correct the system. Thank you for walking us through that. I think that so well illustrates a concept that Equal AI we're always talking about, but you gave such important detail for people to really digest and understand it. And that's that bias and other risks can embed at each stage in the life cycle where there's a human intervention, but humans can also be part of the solution by making sure there's safeguards at each of those steps along the way. So AI can be part of the solution and the problem humans, we need to continue to work together in order for this end goal of trust. So putting humans right there front and center is such a important and powerful way to do that. But we are also aware, given all the conversations we have with C-suite and boardrooms and others, that it's not always the most popular conversation. And while we're all aligned on the end goal of reducing harms and increasing broader population that can benefit from AI systems, it comes to some hard conversations. And, you know, we're curious if you'd be able to share with some of our listeners, how have you helped customers who have navigated across different sectors in these very challenging times. We just came through a pandemic. We are developing a new love for LLMs. There's enthusiasm, there's crises. How have you advised internally ways to identify pain points, how to overcome these conflicts? How have you translated this in the way that you noted at the beginning that you're a translator for business leaders and, and engineers? How can we learn from your experience and how to overcome some of these obstacles? I would say the first step is simple and pure education. When we go to any sort of conversation, whether if it's internal within Data Robot or whether if it's external with our customers, the first step is around education having a good understanding of what AI is actually doing right from the, the beginning uh, about what should be the expectation. And then thinking about in helping them understand what are the risks that are associated. And this education should be really tailored to the roles and responsibilities of those individuals and teams. Expecting someone without technical backgrounds to go through all the technical different definitions of fairness, that might be a little bit too much for them and they might get lost, but having a good education for them around what are the impacts, what are the risks if they're, for example, senior executives, probably they are more involved in the risk assessment side of it. So helping them understand how they should be thinking about aspects of bias, aspects of privacy all that within their framework of thinking about risks and benefits of the system. So after that, you know, when we go through those type of educations that are persona-based, the second part is actually might be a bit harder, but it's essential and that is a cultural change. So through that education, all these different personas understand the needs why do we need to have responsible AI? Why do we need to think about ethics? But then the main problem is that now we need to change the culture within the organization because we already established how we are going to work, what is the workflow. Now we may need to tweak that because we need to now implement risk management frameworks within the organization. Now we need to think about different evaluations that should come as part of our standard life cycle of any AI use case. 
So then it comes helping them navigate that cultural change and then helping them also think about what infrastructure they need within their organizations, because every organization is unique in itself. So we need to help them understand and tailor it towards their needs. Thank you. And education and culture change is so important. And I think, you know, we're seeing whether culture has actually changed playing out in some of the large tech companies at the moment. So you were talking about bias and reducing bias in AI is a core issue we often discuss in this podcast. It also happens to be an area of significant thought for you, as we know from your talks and writing. For instance, in an article entitled How to Tackle AI Bias, you give a helpful overview of how to recognize and tackle AI bias at various stages, pre-processing, in-processing, and post-processing. Can you walk us through some of these high-level steps that you've shared to break down and identify AI bias? What are some examples of guardrails that you try to implement to mitigate bias and achieve fairness? And whose role is it to ensure that these safeguards are in place and sufficient for your company? Absolutely. So... When we are thinking about bias, the first thing that we need to acknowledge that it's coming from the data. So the data can be biased, whether if it's historical biases that us as human have, and now it's embedded in the data, or it could be imbalanced data. We just didn't collect enough data from groups that are underrepresented in the data that we consider the population that we are studying as part of the use case. But what you described is part of what we think about the process of mitigating bias. So imagine that we are building an AI system. Now we are looking at the model that we have and the way that it predicts. We run some tests and we realize that the system might be biased. So in order for us to be able to intervene, there are three stages. The first stage is what we call pre-processing. And that happens when we are actually trying to mitigate bias within the data, whether if it's to giving weights to underrepresented groups within the data, so the model would be able to see more examples of them, or even actually trying to reduce the correlation between different groups and the results that we have to target to reduce that bias that might be present in the data. So that is a pre-processing step with a focus on the data. There is in-processing step, which the focus is actually during the trainings part. So when we are training, the way that it's set up is for model to be rewarded when it's getting the right answer. But what we try to do in the in-processing step is actually enforce the aspect that the model should find patterns that are fair. So the model would be rewarded if it learns a fair pattern as part of its training. It's more powerful than the other methods that we have in the mitigation side, but it could be a little bit time consuming. And also when you're thinking about the data aspect of it, there are a lot of regulations that might prevent us from using it because for this part, we need to have sensitive information, things like gender, race to be part of the process 
And sometimes the regulations may not allow us to do that. The last part of it is post-processing. So for these parts, we are actually trying to tweak the model's predictions to make it fair. So we already have our models, it does its predictions, but now at this stage, after we are done with the whole thing, we are trying to make it fair. So in this stage, we would be able to tweak the results and make it fair when it, in the process of going to the production. These are the three different stages that we are intervening. And one of the things that it's important to think about is depending on how organizations are handling data, they might be able to do it at one of these stages. So that's why we need to have a diverse set of mitigation techniques. So to be able to address the challenges that we have in various industries and various regulations that might come up in the process. Such an important point to talk about various tools you'll need for different types of bias in the process. But the other piece that brings up is the different types of perspectives. I mean, you mentioned all the different hats you wear as an AI ethicist. I'd love for you to share with other companies or organizations thinking about adding this role, thinking about what's needed to really do this work effectively. Who should be responsible on teams looking for bias in AI, whether it's someone in your role or, or they set it up differently? You know, how, how would you set it up in an ideal world for a, a use agnostic AI, given that our listeners work with AI in so many different ways? And do you think all companies should have an ethics team for their AI? So what advice would you give a company considering the gravity of what you're talking about, the important work of what you do, and where they should start or revert course uh, if they're already on this journey? Absolutely. So I would say if they have the option of having an ethics team, it's definitely something that they should pursue. And in terms of who should be involved, I would say everyone. We need to have people from the executive side. We need to have people from the technical side and the end users, representative of the end users, whether they're internal users or whether if it's going to be from the consumer side, we need to have everyone at the table and have their perspective to be part of it. We need to understand the challenges that each of these groups would have. In addition to that, if having an ethics team might be challenging at this point for any organizations, I would say the least having a principles, a guideline, a framework for different groups to be able to follow, to be able to understand based on, you know, we, we discussed that a little bit earlier, that based on their responsibilities, what sort of principles they should be following, how they should proceed, whether they're accessing the data, whether they're processing the data, how they, what's their responsibilities and what are the considerations that they should have versus someone, for example, in the IT side or individuals in the executive part of it, how they should be thinking about the risks of a system. Having a, as you know, NIST recently released their risk management framework. That could be one area that they can start investing in to have that type of processes in place to help the organization set the foundation. So later on, they would be able to actually have that team be ready to start working with different groups within the organization. 
That's great. And it comes back to everybody needs to be involved and you need to have that culture within your company and build it. Even if you're too small to have the ethics department, you still need to be building something uh, which can grow with you and with your organization and with your customers, because you need that underlying understanding that responsible AI is something that you want to build in your company. Now, you have a global title, Anya, and of course, this task does have those global implications. How has that perspective benefited your perspective? And what are you seeing outside the US that we might be able to learn from as we're thinking about models for responsible AI governance? So... When we are thinking about the global aspects, we need to understand that there are differences in perspectives, differences in views, things that in the US, we might have a specific perspective on them. In Europe or in Asia, they might have a different view on that. So we need to be mindful of different cultures and different perspectives when it comes to global aspect of it. But there are foundations that regardless of where we live, those are the foundations of what we can consider as responsible. For example, human rights side of it, having principles around ensuring that AI systems are aligned with human rights and they're not violating any of our rights that, for example, we have from UN, human rights. So there are these aspects of it that we need to be mindful when you're thinking about the global side of it. But in comparison, uh, with respect to what we see outside US, definitely, for example, on the regulation side, we see a lot more activities coming from Europe with regards to AI and how they are trying to ensure the safety of their own citizens and well-being of their own citizens when it comes to AI. So part of it, I think, you know, what we can learn is from their perspective, what are the benefits of the way that they view AI and the way that they are trying to regulate AI and also map it to what we have in the US, how we are perceiving it. And based on that, try to create our own version, I would say, rather than copy paste aspect of it, create a version that would be applied to our values, the way that we want as a nation to move forward with regards to AI. Really interesting. And I confess here, I'm being a little greedy. I want to ask you two questions. So if you would not mind, on the one hand, you know, I, I'm so grateful that I get to work with you on NIAC, the National AI Advisory Committee. As our listeners know, it was a congressionally mandated committee. There are 26 AI experts from private sector, academia, nonprofit, civil society who work with us on this committee. And I realize how busy you are, how much need there must be for your time internally at your company. And I, one question I have is, what led you to decide that you wanted to serve on this committee, knowing that you know time was not something you had in excess? Why did you want to spend three years in service to this government committee? Well, you know, exactly as you mentioned, part of the mandate for NIAC was to think about trustworthy AI. As you know, this is a topic that's very important for me. So being part of thinking about how we can think about trustworthy AI in the United States and how we can have that as part of 
the framework that we move forward with or even collaborate with other nations when it comes to AI. So for me, that was one inspiration that as a country, we are trying to move forward with thinking about not just AI, but trustworthy AI. So that was a big inspiration for me when it came to NIAC. And if I can be of any help bringing my expertise as part of it, that is something that I would consider. So, and that's how I was interested in becoming a member. Well, we are all fortunate for that. And I also recognize listening to you that so many people are going to be inspired by you. And and I don't know if they can follow in your footsteps, but they'll maybe hopefully be inspired to at least try. You've worked in different industries. You've demonstrated how you've used that to benefit your role as an AI ethicist at a company that is in a really important place in an important time. Uh, I know that you have a, a recent speech at the Women Tech Global Conference and are often generous about your time helping promote other women leading in AI, which is obviously something so important to both Kay and I. So for those who are inspired by your work and your government service, what would you say to them, especially young women listening? How would you encourage them, whether their strength is math or literature or linguistics or ethics? How would you invite them into this field to join us? Have your voice heard. That is pretty much the, the advice that I have because we need your voice. One of the things that we talked about here was different perspectives and how important it is to have that diverse set of thinking when we are thinking about any use case, when we are thinking about having AI in production. So bringing your expertise and not thinking that your expertise are something that's not enough. Every expertise matters, every perspective matters. So ask questions, bring your voice into the table and participate. So they may sound simple and cliche, but they are the foundations of changing the culture and changing the mindsets for better. Absolutely. And we do need more young women. And as Miriam said, others too, who are underrepresented in the field. And, you know, that takes us all the way back to those questions that you're struggling with around bias from fairness as well. It's always a sad point to come to this part of our show. And it has been wonderful having you on the show, Hanier. So it's for me to ask that final question that we ask of all of our guests. If you had a magic wand to achieve just one wish to help us achieve responsible AI, what would your wish be? I have a lot of wishes here. <laughs> I think the first one would, for me would be the education. Having that AI literacy for everyone, that would be for me the first wish. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us and sharing all the work that you are doing to make this world a better place with responsible AI. Thank you, Hanye. Happy to be here. As usual, Kay, I think that was such an interesting discussion. I really loved hearing about Hanye's perspective on her role, the humility she brings to it in understanding that there are so many important roles to play within her job, within the others who do her work, the various perspectives and culture 
We need to be mindful of both internal culture and the culture in which our AI will be operating. What were some of the big takeaways for you? Yes, I think for me, it's the need for education because we say this all the time and the need for cultural change within organizations, not just within the organization that she represents, but also within her customers as well. And how you actually achieve that that golden thread that runs from education to doing something, change. And so obviously that was really impressive. And as you say, she's so humble and yet has achieved so much because the other thing is that change of career, having her PhD in astrophysics and, and then finding her way into being an AI ethicist And I think that that's also important because it reflects the need to have different voices and different perspectives represented in the work that you're doing around responsible AI. I think it also helps for people who might not have thought about a career in in responsible AI, and especially women and people in underrepresented populations, seeing that there is a pathway that you can you can follow to working in this area. And we all know we need more people representative of more populations. And I also liked the fact that she reflected, I think it was Einstein who said, you know, if I have one hour to solve a question my life depends on, I'd use 55 minutes to define the question. And I think that her her reflection around, you know, we need to get the question right before we can employ the answer, deploy the answer, was was very thoughtful as well. And I guess the, you know, what is a data ethicist and the need to wear all these different hats because you're speaking to very different people uh, with very different frameworks and you have to take them all together on that journey with you. That is, I suspect, one of the most difficult and satisfying parts of her job. What about you? I think you touched on all the important points, but I am struck by this consistent theme. You would think we gave all of our guests the talking points on the issues that we all want to flag, but you know, landing on front and square, first step has to be education, and then quickly pivoting to explain it is not in the hands of some, It is in all of our interests. We all have a role to play to make sure that our AI serves us and to make sure that we all thrive with AI empowering us. And and the only way to do that is to invite more women, more underrepresented populations, more roles in training environments where we can really benefit from those perspectives. I know you and I have a bias of lawyers and policymakers participating in the crucial role that we play, but you know, an astrophysicist, the various science backgrounds, in addition to the deep importance of the technical backgrounds, the computer scientists, engineers, that we all have a role to play and indeed must in order to get this right. And how that lends to her second imperative of the cultural piece of ethical, trustworthy AI, and and really how she just dove right into the crucial part of 
building an ethical team is is the culture allowing for that. And I'd love to have another whole episode uh, really breaking down how she's done that, how she defines that, because it is challenging, it is significant, and it is all important in order to ensure that our AI serves us and us being the, the global us in, in all the different ways that we can and can't even think of. So I'm really grateful for her insights, for her work and her passion, um, her taking time in addition to all this to her public service. And I am grateful for the others that she's bringing with her through her talks and writing so that we can continue this all important piece of education. Absolutely. And of course, she isn't the only astrophysicist who started this path because, you know, I, I'm reminded of it being Max Tegmark who got us all together at Azilomar for those very first principles for responsible AI. And so perhaps there's some, some interesting connection that I'm not aware of. Well, that is interesting. We need to explore that. I was just reaching for my book so that it could be the prop. But all right, we will continue to explore this questions of the universe uh, and who should be a part of the AI universe in our future conversations. But in the meantime, Kay, thank you for another great conversation. Thank you. Take care. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want more unique content, please head over to Radio Davos from the World Economic Forum. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.